Hey, everybody. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Weekly Impact Podcast. I am Brent Smith, joined by Daniel Yelverton and Michael Miller. And um, today we are going to be on 2 Thessalonians 2. Hey, you got it right. That's great. I did. We're in 2 Thessalonians <laughs> 7. <laughs> um, and it is uh, Tuesday, October 16th. And so we're just going to get uh, pretty quickly into it. Do we need to give any context on this before we get into it, guys? Uh, I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> our, our click. That's, that's an inside joke. We have to stop dancing so much before we do this because we have too much fun. It's true. We're <laughs> no, not supposed to have fun on podcasts. No, it's, Some this, days this it's is the very exercise I get. Guys, so. this is very serious. serious. And speaking of serious, the big topic of First and Second Thessalonians <laughs> is the end times. Yeah, at least this chapter today for sure. Yeah, so so one of the things that we know is that there are false teachers, right? So the, the basic context is Paul tends to, to look back uh, at, at letters that are sent to him, and, and he's seeing some, some negative reports about false teachers. It seems like he's always combating this. Mm-hmm. But specifically, people are teaching some things about uh, the, the, the end days, the last times. Uh, and, and basically, he's tackling that a lot in, in First and Second Thessalonians. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of it has to do with the persecution of that church. So there's a yes. lot of persecution going on. And so uh, I think the false teachers are preying on people's fear and preying on their situations. And then they are giving them this misinformation and it's it's messing with their hope. It's messing with like it's, it's manipulative, which the ta- most, if, uh, if not all false teaching is in some force, some form or fashion based in manipulation. Yeah, it's fear. Yeah, fear mongering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the reason for Second Thessalonians is the fact that he wrote First Thessalonians and found out later that all of the same stuff that he had talked to <laughs> yeah. them about in First Thessalonians was still going on and got worse. Yeah. So um, this is his second letter to them, just through this continuing ordeal that they're dealing with to tell yeah. them, hey, you know, I'm going to reinforce what I said before. And we're going to address some of these things. And Paul founded this church. This is something I was just noticing a little bit ago. That some of these churches, you know, Paul visited and such. But this is like, this is a big deal to Paul. This is a church that, that he really intimately knows these people. Mm-hmm. He founded this church. He loves these people. And, and so this, this, this crowd is near and dear to his heart. His heart. All right, guys. So this is uh, 2 Thessalonians from the Dwell app. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered together to him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one 
will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope, through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. All right, guys, that is 2 Thessalonians 2. <laughs> Get very specific with how I'm saying that so we don't have any issues with it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that um, if you're not versed in Revelation, if you're not versed in end times prophecy, um, there's probably a lot that people don't understand of what's going on there. A lot of references to the man of lawlessness. And um, do you guys have anything you want to share on that? I have <laughs> some depth of knowledge on that I can I can share. I just didn't know if there's any observations you guys wanted to get to first. The only thing that I'll say on it is that um, <clears throat> I think we have to be careful with this stuff. Um, this stuff is so wrapped in metaphor. Um, it's especially when you, when you look at at Revelation. And you compare it to those, you know, books of prophecy in the Old Testament. Um, I, I think sometimes we need to take a chill pill, you know. Uh, we, we we act like we're so certain that we understand all these things perfectly, and the Bible speaks so much about life and about about God, who God is, who God isn't, how we should be, how we shouldn't be. That this is almost like extra credit, you know. Because, I mean, let's let's think about things realistically for just a moment. At, in the end times, how much does it matter how it all happens? I mean, what matters to me, and I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think what matters to God is how we live our lives, right? And about whether we have a relationship with Him. And on top of that, you know, the, there's, there's heaven and there's hell and there's an eternity. The end times is only like a, a tiny snapshot in time in the comparison to the... the uh, the, the massive history and the eternity yet to come. So I think as we study this, we should all take a deep breath and relax. And I think that's part of what Paul is saying here too, because there's all kinds of craziness being being told to these poor uh, people in Thessalonica. So like, chill out. It's going to be okay. There are some things that are going to happen. But so everybody that's listening, take a breath and realize that 
that I'm probably going to be wrong. Daniel's probably going to be wrong. Brent's probably going to be wrong. But we're going to, we're going to talk about the stuff and do the best we can and be okay with uncertainty. Be okay with the fact that we could be wrong. I think that's, I hate to, I hate to be that. Maybe that's just me covering the fact that I feel woefully unprepared for, for this because of the fact that this is my weakest subject, eschatology. The, the end time stuff is really tough for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah. just chill out a little bit. I think I think that when I when I look at end time prophecy, my the way that I internalize it is is certainty and hope in the future. Uh, that's the way I, I look at it. I, I try not to get very. Um, I try not to consume myself with the knowledge of the specifics. I think that it's important that God is giving us prophecy, that He's giving us a revelation of the future of how things that are going to transpire, because I think that's part of His character. I think part of His character is to give hope, uh, hope in the present times. You know, he gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit for the future inheritance. So there's, there's always a, I mean, God knows the beginning from the end. And so he knows how it's going to transpire. And so I think he gives us the hope that we need to endure. And so, and I think that's uh, one of the things that Paul is really, he's addressing a lot of these specific questions that have to deal with the man of lawlessness and uh, when he's going to come about, and the activities of Satan, and people that don't believe in God—they're like what they're, what's happening to uh, them, and different things like that. And and a lot of it has to do with hope. A lot of it has to do with justice, mm-hmm. you know, because I think the these early believers are really experiencing a lot of persecution, and so they're wondering: Is justice actually really going to be served, or is injustice just going to reign? Because this is what we always see in our society: is that right. might makes right, and the powerful uh, they. Uh, they consume the weak. And so now, you know, we have Jesus coming along saying that, no, there's going to be hope that I've overcome the world, take heart, different things like that. And so that's why they, I think they have differing kind of um, conflicting things going on with their situation and then the hope that they have. And so they want to know with certainty, you know, what's going to happen. And, and so I think that's, that's the way I interpret a lot of end time stuff. Like I said, I don't get consumed with the details, but I really hold fast to, uh, the hope and the character of God that he will make all things new and all things right and all things just. So anyways, but Brent, I know this is yeah. something that you really enjoy. And mm-hmm. so uh, I'll, I'll kick that over to you to see kind of what your observations were. Yeah, and that's fine. <clears throat> and I'll start off too by saying there is no, uh, kind of reiterating what you guys said, there is no definite um, proof of exactly what this is supposed to be. Um, and the only reason that I'm going into any of it, and it is the futurist view, the fact that, you know, people still believe that this stuff is coming. I mean, a lot of people still believe that that is coming. There has to be an end, mm-hmm. you know, to, to things, to be able to change for heaven on earth, for all that stuff to eventually come and happen. There has to be something shift from now to that. And this is kind of what a lot of um, end-time scholars, a lot of people believe kind of is the general idea of what's going to happen. And I'm not going into the whole thing, but I just want to lay out a little bit because it helps me to understand what the heck they're talking about when it comes Mm -hmm. to this stuff. So I think it's important, and I think that there's there's obviously a reason that it's there for us. Um, And there's a reason that... um, Certain people are drawn to it. Certain people aren't drawn to it. Um, so I will just go through knowing, telling you guys now that what I'm about to go into isn't necessarily exactly how it's going to go. It just maybe helps you have a bit more of an understanding of what he's talking about, at yeah. least in a way that you can comprehend. So the man of lawlessness is typically the Antichrist. Sure. Mm-hmm. So it's believed at the end of days that there will be someone who comes about that... Um, 
gains a lot of power and that is wholly motivated by evil so that then when the rapture happens, which it, this will all get, I'll link this all, all of this back to Second uh, Thessalonians 2 here in just a second. But um, when the rapture happens, then there's a period of time on the earth that is basically Satan's rule on earth before it's it's like God says, okay, I'm going to give you some time to really let these people sort things out. I'm going to give you opportunity for um, the people who choose me to choose me and the people who don't choose me to not choose me. So anyway, it, it just becomes a pretty dicey time on earth for about, the idea is that it's going to be about seven years. Right. Um, so that's when they talk about the end times. So these people were getting freaked out because these teachers were talking about the Antichrist coming and saying that he's here or whatever and freaking them out and making some of them believe that they had been left behind and not raptured. So then they're losing their minds and not knowing why, why did I get left behind? What am I not doing right? What's happening? They're in this state of fear. And like you said, it's manipulative. So Mm -hmm. it was happening for that reason. So just to hit on a couple points, um, what he talked about in here. And like I said, I'm referring to just what I know from end time prophets, kind of what's the general consensus of it. So I talked about who the man of lawless lawlessness is. Um, he talked in here about what restrains him. Um, and I know that that can be confusing to people. What it has been typically looked at is that because God controls everything and God is the most powerful ever until God decides that this time is supposed to happen he doesn't let it happen. So sure. that's what's restraining. That's what he's referring to is that God is restraining this time from happening until God says, okay, time's come. I'm going to let this guy go and have free reign on the planet and do what he's going to do for a while. So that's what he's talking about. And then the restraints being lifted because God decided it's time for that to happen. Um, the awesome thing is that it's determined that at the end of all of this, this whole buildup, this whole horrible time that everyone goes through that's here on earth still, um, when Jesus comes back, this huge battle of Armageddon, it's this amazing, huge buildup, and then Jesus comes down and speaks and wins. Like, that's it. So for us, he's so powerful, and there's so much, for me, so so much excitement in that victory because it's all in his plan anyway. It's just like, hey, we're going to let this happen, and then when I come down, I'm going to be so powerful that there isn't even going to be a big battle at the end that I might lose. It's just going to be like I speak, and the, my, the word that comes from my mouth destroys it all and then i bring in you know heaven basically so that's i mean that's kind of the gist of what you know it is believed that he's referring to here so um i really enjoy that stuff you know if if you ever want to read a really cool book series there's a book series called left behind i'm sure you've heard about a horrible movie that kirk cameron was in for it um another horrible movie that they made with nicholas cage in it a few years ago nicholas cage doesn't make horrible movies <laughs> what <laughs> um so um, but anyway, the book series, um, it, it's honestly something that as I came to faith, something that I had heard about and kind of read through it. And as these people in the story, and obviously this is all fictitious people based upon what they think the events of this stuff is going to be, but it's a really great story. It's very compelling. And what happens in these books is the very first book starts with the rapture and then it's all these people that got left behind and they figure out, Oh my goodness, I wasn't right and wasn't where I was supposed to be with God. And now I have this period of time that I can get right with God. So they're all growing in faith as they go through all of these trials and tribulations. 
and I was growing in my faith as I was reading along with these characters and stuff. So it was a big part of my development as a Christian. So it's something that's near and dear to me, but it's also something that I know is based on what people have guessed is coming. You know what I mean? So you can't put too much emphasis on any of these specifics, which is what you guys were referring to before, but it is something that in a way helps me understand what is possibly being referred to when they're talking about this yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought something interesting out there. And again, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 again, I, I just keep my mind open with some of these things because there's a lot of interesting theories. One that I've, I've run across in the last year or so is called, uh, and I'm probably mispronouncing it, but I think it's called preterism. Have you, have you heard of uh, preterists? Um, it sounds like predator or like something. Like preter, like the, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so they, so, what what had happened was <laughs> in uh, AD seventy um, or, or thereabouts, uh, there was like this 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 war, the the Judeo Roman War, um, and like a million Jews died. Um, and so there are some that believe that like Revelation that some of what it talks about is actually in the past, mm-hmm. and that and that like and that there's like a cutoff point where where. And we're that John's writing about, you know, the things that are and things that were, and then he shifts gears into the future. So there's a thought that, like the the beast might be Emperor Nero, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like how he was he was persecuting Christians, and then there was this there was this war, and then they're killing Jews, and that and that this idea is that maybe. Uh, when, because Jesus says that this is going to happen in this generation, mm-hmm. and that's something that we were like, uh, what? How does that fit into things? Yeah. Well, preterists believe that part of this happened already in in AD seventy. That that God did use the Romans to judge the the Jews that didn't convert. You know that kind of thing, and millions died, yeah. or not millions, but about a million died, and that they believe that some of this has already happened. So I, I, to be honest, I don't know what to think of some of that. The, the good thing about that idea is it fixes the issue of Jesus saying that, that, that this judgment and this stuff would happen in this generation. So you can still look at Revelation as truth and just see, well, some of it was in the past and then some of it is in the future. But to be honest, I just don't know. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the struggles with learning is that you, you, you think you got things figured out you know, you think that because because I read those books too, and I'm like, yeah, this is it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you learn some new things. You're like, man, I don't know. Yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm just a cosmic, you know, wondering. I don't. I have I have no idea. Yeah, and we addressed it. Uh, what a year ago on the podcast or something. We talked about it. There's like three or four different yeah. veins of belief on this, and and the futurist one that I was talking about is one of them. Uh, I don't remember it being called preterist or whatever that you were talking right. about. But there's that. There's people that believe that it's just in general within the church itself. It's also people that believe that kind of like what you were just talking about, where it's the church being persecuted by people through history mm-hmm. and that it all happened back then. And so, yeah, it, it, it all is, and there's the, nobody the, the knows the pre-trib sure. and the post-trib, like, you know, are, are, oh, yeah. are Christians raptured before, during or after? Yeah. Yeah. There's, and then even in the rapture, what is the rapture for sure? Right. Like, what's that really mean? Some people believe people will be taken just, they'll just vaporize all of a sudden and go to heaven and their clothes will be still be sitting there. But then other people believe that it's something else. That's almost like a seal put upon you and you still have to live through whatever it is that happens. Like nobody right. knows. Nobody knows. So but the reason you know I went we into do that know? is just so people kind of, you know, maybe we have do a, know. And, and again, it. the point is that there's hope. 
mm-hmm. regardless well, of how it happens. Yeah, I, I've said this a million times, but there's the the important thing, and you're not going to find it in this chapter. But the important thing that that Paul is basically referring to is that Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. Mm-hmm. He was punished for us and died for us. He rose again and ascended into heaven, proving that he was God. He basically says, if you believe this and you receive salvation, mm-hmm. then you can be with God in heaven. Yeah. Now, what happens between you accepting Jesus and you going to heaven? Who knows? But there's hope mm-hmm. that you will be with God, Brent. You will be with God, Daniel. You will be with God, listener. If you have believed this, what I just told you, and you have received it. And of course, the way that we receive it, you're not going to find the sinner's prayer in, in a scripture. However, establishing a relationship with God starts with a conversation. And the best way that we know to have a conversation with God is through prayer. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you simply, you, you pause and you, and, you, and you pray something like this, you say something like, Dear Jesus, you know, I, I know that you lived a perfect life. I know that you died for me. I know that you're resurrected and that you have the power to forgive sins. I believe this. I ask your forgiveness of, of all of my sins. And I ask that you would just, just come into my being and just save me. Mm-hmm. Forgive me, Lord. I, I've done wrong. Please forgive me. Save me. And, and I dedicate my life to you. Mm-hmm. If you believe that, you receive that, you have hope. And you will see God one day. So... I think I think that's a big thing that that Paul can kind of hit on here in, in, in both first and second Thessalonians <laughs> is that we have hope. Yeah. And, and the biggest thing for me too is no matter what what you go through if it's anything the biggest thing that this should drive home to you is that you should try to be living every day live your life the way that God would want you to live it and be in good relationship with him so that no matter what happens no matter if it's the end of days or if it's you know, a car accident or something yeah. so that you're in communication, in relationship with God and living your life the way that he would want you to live it. I think that's the biggest takeaway from it. And at the end, at the end of no matter what it is, he is all powerful and victorious and we can take hope in that and we can be excited about that. So I have some questions for you guys. Oh, or, no. or for right. Brent. <laughs> yeah. Or at least maybe one question. And, and I think this can be very confusing when we read scripture and we see God's participation in things like this taking place. So like when you see there in verse 11, therefore God sends a strong, sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false. Mm-hmm. You see kind of God's participation in things. God sends a, you know, talking about uh, when Saul, when his spirit leaves him and then he sends a tormenting spirit. You, you have these different... Uh, areas in scripture where it almost seems like God is participating in some sort of evil activity or something like that. And so I want to just ask you guys, I have some thoughts on it, but I want to ask you guys what you guys think about that when you read something like that in verse 11. I mean, first of all, I trust the goodness of God. So I don't ever think that if he's doing something like that, that God's like, you know what, after all these years, I'm going to do something evil. You know, like I Mm -hmm. don't believe that at all. I believe in those moments that it's that it's God making a shift in something and he has to make a change for people to have an option to choose. Um, but I don't ever, you know, I don't ever think that God's like, I'm going to do something sneaky and tricky yeah, and, re- yeah. and really mess with these people. You know, I don't ever believe that. I think that there's always something bigger when we see these sentences like that. Cause if you look at the old Testament, there's genocide in the old Testament. I don't know if you guys know this. Okay. This might be a shock to you. Genocide is bad, right? 
That's bad. What? So, yeah, and, yeah. and th- there are some crazy things. But it has the word gen in it. <laughs> <laughs> there are some crazy things in the Old Testament and some crazy things in the New Testament. However, we have to look at things in the scope of history. Mm-hmm. What happened because of it? What, what was happening before? A lot of people don't realize that a lot of the genocide in the Old Testament, it really started because people were s- sacrificing their children. We, we see the words idol worship, but if you look at history and see what these people were sacrificing to their idols, they were killing their kids. Mm-hmm. So God steps into history to fix stuff, right? We, we mess so many things up, and sometimes God has to just to, to step in and just fix our mistakes. So when we're reading through Scripture and we're seeing that some bad things are happening and God seems to be behind it. We need to ask ourselves why, because God is generally up to something mm-hmm. good. And so the struggle for, for us, I think, in Scripture shouldn't be, wow, God did this bad thing. No, God is doing a good thing. Let's discover what good thing he's doing in this particular Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, And that's that's where I'd like to pass it to Daniel. <laughs> so, and, so in the Scripture, right, we, we see, therefore God sends them a strong delusion— so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned, uh, who did not believe in the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So, what do we think God is up to in this scripture, Daniel? All right. So my thoughts are, and I I, I agree with what you guys are saying, uh, because if, if you can't isolate like the flood or the genocide in Canaan or anything like that, and just say God is just a wicked person for doing that, mm-hmm. you have to look at the other things in the story of Abraham. You see that God was was said that the Amalekites' sin has not had hadn't reached the great point. So like there was a there's a the sin of that Canaanite land was to like God had gave him like 600 years to repent of this sin, which is like, you know, I mean that's that's twice as long as our nation's history. God gave them a chance to repent. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Think about how off, how much time that is of to to repent of the evil thing that they were doing. Uh, for example, the flood, when God said that he, he said he was going to devour the devourers. He said that the society was so wicked that the, the powerful were devouring the weak constantly mm-hmm. that it was destroying all of creation. And so in the flood, God said, I'm going to devour the devourers. And even in the instance with Saul, uh, you have Saul's choices um, giving this, giving God giving way to Saul's choices. And I think that that God has set up the his universe in a way that we have the ability to choose and he in his great love for us honors our choices mm-hmm. and sometimes that means that our choices are getting so so bad and it's affecting so many people that god will just intervene and just say all right this is this is what you asked for i got i'm coming through now i have to come through with this and i think this is a, a similar situation because it says Therefore, in verse 11, so we, we've talked back about up. this before, got to back up. Well, the back up is, is say that, that all these, uh, with all the wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And so this is a, a choice that people are making, that they refuse to love the truth and, they, and the opportunity to be saved is there and they, they reject it. And so God actually just says, okay, then I'm going to give you what you're asking for. And so a strong delusion comes over them because really what they want is to stay uh, in the state of delusion. And so God gives them that. God gives them what they want because then he says, all right, well, this is going to overcome you and you're not going and you're because this is your choice and I'm going to give you your choice and I'm going to honor your choice. And I think that's what shows the love and the grace of God is that he will give us autonomy. He will honor us and he will show he will he will come through with the choice that we give. And, And I think that's part of the reason why. 
um, people maybe struggle with like, well, how does a good God, a loving God send people to hell? And I think that it's not that God necessarily sends them to hell, even though that's the result. It's the fact that God says, okay, you didn't want to live at all with me in your life. And so for eternity, I'm going to honor your request and I'm going to, you're not going to be in my, you're not going to experience my presence. And, And so I think that that's, uh, when you see this and you see God's kind of participation in this, it's, it's, it's understandable because God is in everything. He is holding everything together. He created everything, and he is intimately involved in everything. Uh, but in his choice in creation, because he wanted to create an opportunity for true relationship, for true love, and true love has to have a choice, then he honors choice. And so it looks like he is participating in that, but actually he is just saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you what you want. And that's because... I want to honor you and the choice that you're making. Yeah. The uh, the Bible Project thing that I watched for a little bit of context on this book before we got into it today, they even spoke about um, something that we've talked about on here before that was a huge revelation to me was that hell is, it's just the absence of God for the most part. And so the funny thing is, see if this doesn't blow your mind, that people think God punishes you and he sends you to hell. But actually, God does that because he loves you so much that he gives you the choice and he honors the choice that you made. So if you choose by the end of your life to not choose him, he goes, okay, if that's the choice that you've made and you don't want me in your life, then I'll send you where I'm not. Mm-hmm. Like that's crazy to think about, you know? Mm-hmm. And and so I think when God created uh, paradise as in heaven and also uh, hell, he created them in a way that would hell would push us towards God because it would be a, such an awful place that we would never want to go. Yeah. But he also made heaven so appealing and so hopeful that it would draw us to God. Yeah. Uh, and so because God understands that we were created for him and that we find our completeness and our wholeness and paradise in him. Um, and sometimes, you know, but with the fact that there's the opportunity to choose, then people don't choose God. And so God wants to create places that say, no, like, don't go here. Don't You don't want to go here and come here because I've got some really amazing things in store for you. And, and so I think all of this kind of, all of the end time prophecy and everything kind of all kind of funnels down into the present because then you're like, okay, now that I know these things, how do I live my life? Because yes. I think that's really what the application is, is mm-hmm. all right, now that I know that, justice is finally going to be served, that injustice will be dealt with, and that uh, I have hope, you know, through persecution, I have hope that God's character is good and that he loves me. So now what does that then do to my present? Because Paul then, at the end of this book, talks about like idle living. And I think there's a place where you can live idly when you kind of just don't care about the future, right? And Paul's like, no, like we need to care about the future because the future has great consequences, good and bad, you know? Yes. And so and so I think that's why a lot of the end time stuff, we just need to focus on the fact that, okay, well, if we know these things then, then what does it do to our present? What does How does it change the way we live? How does it change the way we interact with people, with our Heavenly Father? And, and so I, I think that's an important takeaway from this time is that we can say, all right, so how does this then change the way we yeah. live? Yeah. And, I, and I could talk for ages about hell, but but the thing is, what hell does is it shows us a part of God's character. Now, that sounds negative, but hear me out. Mm-hmm. God is a God of justice. God is a God of consequences. And so when Daniel talks about how we can apply this to our life today, what does this mean for now? God, who he is, 
is a God of consequences, positive and negative. And yes, he's a God of love. So what we can expect from that is that in our lives, there are going to be positive and negative consequences, not just consequences beyond the grave. There are also consequences in our daily life. Mm-hmm. So, and look, I think something that we really mess up here is we think that God has given us all these rules because he's like this evil tyrant God who just wants to strike you with lightning, right? Mm-hmm. He's not Zeus, man. He's God. <laughs> God gives you rules because he loves you. Mm-hmm. He knows what's best for you. He's not giving, he's, he's very similar to how I make my kids hold my hand when we're walking in a parking lot because I know Christian, my eight-year-old, Noah's fine. My five-year-old's fine. He can walk in a parking lot by himself. But my eight-year-old, he can't. Because he cannot pay an ounce of attention. I know this, so I hold his hand. It's not because of punishment. It's not some arbitrary rule. Yeah. It's because I love him, right? And I think that's what God does to us. When God says, don't lie, he says it for a reason, because it's good for us. It's helpful. Yeah. So there are consequences because because God loves us, and he wants what's best for us. Yeah. When do you guys want to pray and wrap up today? All right, I'll, I'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this podcast. We thank you for all of our listeners. And uh, Lord, with this end time stuff, Lord, I ask that you would just help us to keep the point the point. And the point is, is that you love us and we have hope. And regardless of what your plans are and how you're going to do this and and what's to come to pass, Lord, I ask that you would just continue to give us hope and, and help us to realize how much you just truly love us. So Lord, we love you and we thank you for all these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you guys, wraps up another episode of the Weekly Impact Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us this week. And on behalf of Elevation Community Church and Pastor Daniel and Michael Miller and myself, I just thank you. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.